Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Good Friday afternoon. Welcome to you from all of us here at Ausbiz. This is The Call. Ten companies picked by you, two expert guests, one hour for Friday, the 8th of July. A warm welcome to my two expert guests on today's show. Here with me for the full hour, we have Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. It's so nice to see you both on this Friday. I hope it's sunny where you are. It certainly is where we are here in Sydney. And we've got a bit of a spring in our step on this Friday afternoon. Um, that being said, guys, look, uh, there's not a lot of corporate news around right now, is there? We're sort of in that lull as we move our way through confession season towards earnings season. So I thought instead of the stock of the day, we'd just get straight to the Friday and do a Friday buy. Luke Walker from A Rich Life, can I start with you? What would you be buying on a sunny, positive, you know, in terms of the index day like today? I'm guessing that's for me. So, um, yeah, it is a lovely day. Thanks for having us, uh, Nadine. Uh, yeah, so I, the, the, the truth is on today, the last couple of days have been quite strong up days and a lot of the kind of growth stocks that I tend to uh, be biased towards have had a great couple of days, a great start to the new financial year. Um, so I'm probably not actually buying, I don't think, any of those ones today. But one... Um, I prefer buy on a down day, basically, and I don't think that we're out of the volatile waters yet. But uh, one that I did buy recently, I think last week, uh, is a company called Cogstate, which I've talked about before. And, you know, it's not a huge holding for me, but I do think it dropped to pretty attractive levels quite recently, and it it hasn't come up too much either. Uh, Basically, look, the story here is this is uh, a company that's profitable. It makes an EBIT profit. I think it's actually... Previously not had to pay tax, uh, but however, there there'll be, should be some tax coming forward. And then they are forecasting, you know, a minimum of, um, you know, a certain, uh, around maybe, maybe 10 million EBIT for FY 2022. And so I think that they're a profitable little software company. Essentially, what they have is software that measures people co- people's cognitive ability. So as you can imagine, um, clinical trials for Alzheimer's and that kind of thing have traditionally... I've been more in person, but in the last couple of years, it's been more, uh, you know, remote testing uh, for doing t- testing these drugs, of which also, you know, there are a few new drug candidates for Alzheimer's that are again driving this kind of activity in this area. So you could think of it as a medium-term tailwind. Um, in some ways, it reminds me of Appen a-, a few years ago. You know, as you can remember, Appen was, you know, selling the tools needed for this explosion in machine learning. In, in by, by the tools, I mean that that raw data. So as the boom happens, there's a lot of demand for this kind of thing. Well, uh, in their clinical trials business anyway, Cogstate is selling uh, the tools needed to sort of go forward with this boom in potential Alzheimer's drugs that we're seeing at the moment. So there is some risk in the long-term thesis there that I also just wanted to mention. Okay, interesting. Uh, you know what happened with Appen, right? Really has fallen out yeah, of favor exactly. That's in a downgrade cycle. Right? 
exactly. So, of course, the thing that I didn't say, but I, it goes without saying, um, Appen had this boom and then it started dropping away and the share price, you know, looks like a mountain with a street steep up and then a bit and then steep down. So that's what could happen to Cogstate as well. That's the risk in this kind of business model. But also, you know, you could also argue that they've got more recurring parts of their business in in the in the sense that they also can do testing to like help diagnose people for Alzheimer's and that kind of thing. However, I did want to flag that risk because that's why I say it's more a medium term thesis. Okay, got it. Thank you. So that's what Claude would buy and he is buying. Perhaps not today. You would prefer to do it on a down day. And we know just past noon here in Sydney on the Friday that the ASX is having a pretty good session at an index level up by seven tenths of one percent. Hey, Luke, I know you're not a big fan of the rain, but the sun, no doubt, is shining up there in Nui as well. So are you in the mood for buying? If so, what would you be picking up? Yeah, look, as, as Claude alluded to, the index has been okay to start the financial year, but where we play, I think the tax loss selling we had in that back half of June, as soon as we've hit 1st of July, it's been a, a very strong um, you know, week or so for, for, the, for the micro caps, especially those who were beaten down. Um, look, like Claude, I, I like to put my money where my mouth is for stuff like this. So I, I've brought the, the last stock I actually you know, have, have added to in the Meriwether Capital Portfolio. And it's a business called Smart Parking. Um, now, I, I've actually written a blog about it on the website, so I'll give that a quick plug, Nadine, at meriwethercapital.com.au. Um, but in a, in a quick nutshell, <clears throat> these guys um, provide automated number plate checking for, for private parking lots. Um, so previously where you've got you know, shopping malls, hospitals, airports, places like that with big parking lots. A lot of the time they're manually operated and it's more of a deterrent rather than a, a revenue generator um, because it's just so difficult for a, a, a person to manually, um, you know, monitor lots that big. So smart parking offers a, a, obviously an automated um, process to that, generates a, a much better return for themselves and, and for customers. Um, but what I like about this business is it's it's tied a little bit to that sort of reopening, I guess, or, or relaxation of, of travel restrictions, particularly in the UK, as, as obviously get more cars on the road and more people out and about. Um, trades on about five times, um, you know, my rough estimates for EBITDA this year, and, and that's a, a true EBITDA. It's, it's a metric I don't entirely like for a lot of businesses, but it's a very capital-light business once they roll out a set of cameras. There's very little um, ongoing spend. So they generate very good cash flows on the back of that. Um, the, the big risk this business faces is regulation. And so I actually, um, a bit like Claude, I'll actually ref, you know, sort of reference this business to, to another sort of separate sector but, but a, a comparison that i see and that's the um the salary packaging guys like mcmillan shakespeare mcmillan shakespeare and smart group where regulation has always hung over the valuations of those stocks so as as shareholders the the returns that you receive is is very much from the earnings growth of the business and any sort of capital returns they can give you i expect smart parking to be the same it's, it's a sector that will always have the threat of regulation over it um, but unlike mcmillan shakespeare and smart group where they are today um, smart parking is very much in that earnings growth phase. I expect they can maybe double or triple their earnings over the next few years. So shareholders can still do really well, even if that sort of terminal multiple is never going to be more than maybe a, a 10 times EBITDA or an 8 times EBITDA. So it's the most recent one I bought. I've got a write-up on the website. Um, so yeah, that's my, my, my fry yay buy. Yeah, great. So Cogstate and smart parking, CGS and SPZ for those playing along at home. And speaking of those with us at home, these are the companies we'll be discussing in the next half hour or so. One of them might be what you've asked us to take a look at. So Audinate for Tamsin coming up, Credit Clear for Nicholas, 
Trya for Diana. And we've got Kogan on the list as well as Soraya Resources. So a very wide and um, very different sort of companies to take a look at in the next little while. So let's get going. Let's start with Audinate. Audinate is for Tamsin and uh, writes in to say, I'm not invested yet, but it's been on the watch list for a long time. Really regretting not buying it at around 650. So wondering what the game plan could look like from here. Um, and the context is, wants it to be a small to medium part of the portfolio. Thanks. So we'll start with you, Luke. Um, yeah, look, this is a really high quality business today, probably one of the highest qualities in that sort of what I would term mid cap space, maybe between sort of 500 million to, to maybe a couple of billion market cap. Um, and you see that in both the, the, the product metrics they put out as, as the, the lead they have over any other competitors in their industry. And then where you see it come through in the financials is the gross margins this business earns, you know, um, high 70% gross margins for what's primarily a hardware business. They're, they're developing some software in behind that. But primarily hardware is exceptionally high gross margins is always the sign of a, a dominant business. So these guys are looking to digitize that audio visual industry. So instead of having all these cables that run to, to various um, modules and speakers, whatnot, it's all controlled by a, um, you know, traditional, I think, Ethernet cables and then a, a digital controller sort of. Um, send sound to, to where it needs to go and to make sure it recreates that um, that um, you know uh, non-digital sort of experience we're all used to. So these guys, their end customers uh, are the um, likes of Yamaha, Bose, and they're selling their Ordinate modules into their products, which obviously then go to end users. So what's hit Ordinate, I'm, you know, I'm sure people who are a bit close to the story are well aware, is, is the chip shortage has hurt Ordinate as a first order effect where they need chips to, to you know, produce their Dante modules. Dante is their, their leading product. Uh, but then also their customers uh, are suffering from chip shortages as well. So you get the second order effect of, of chip shortages really sort of hurting this business. Now, they came out recently in the fourth quarter and, and um, essentially it, we'll wait and see whether it is the end of, of the problems they've been facing, but they've guided to, to a record revenue in the fourth quarter, um, you know, in, in a bit of a roundabout sort of way. They didn't really shout it from the rooftops, but if you sort of back out the guidance they gave, you can calculate it's going to be a record quarter for them. So it could be starting to signal that they're seeing the, the, the impacts of those issues subside, which is why it's bounced so heavily off that sort of 650 level that um, Tamsin was looking at. So, look, for me, there's no doubt if I look at the quality of the business, the trajectory for growth, it ticks every box. The, the question comes down to valuation. And I think this is one where, Nadine, we've discussed a bunch of stocks like this recently. And it's about the time frame you take as an investor. I, I think Ordinate's one where if, if you can genuinely be a long-term investor um, and hold this for maybe five to 10 years, you could make significant returns off this stock if they're able to execute the, the growth that they're trying to do. They've got a very dominant position right now in their market. And to me, despite what's happened to the broader market to loss-making businesses and cash-burning businesses, it makes complete sense for this management team to reinvest every incremental dollar of gross profit into sales and marketing and growth because they've got that lead. They just need to make sure that they maintain that and they grow with that industry as, as sort of digital overtakes um, you know, the, the traditional the traditional metrics. So, look, I'll, I'll be optimistic um, because, spoiler alert, there's a few in the list that I'll, I'll be much more pessimistic on. I'll be optimistic here and say buy Nadine, 
But again, it's it's for that long-term investor. There's still maybe noise around that chip shortage. There's still going to be issues around valuation and what's happening with treasury yields and things like that. But if you can genuinely take a long-term view here, I think these guys are building something special with this business. Um, and it'll be very interesting to be a shareholder on that sort of five, 10-year journey, I think. Got it. Thanks, Claude. Do you see anything different about perhaps entry points or when you would potentially buy Audinate if you were Tamsin, you know, wanting to have a small to medium sort of holding in the portfolio? or do you generally agree with Luke? Uh, it's, it's a tough one. So I looked back over my notes and when I covered the half yearly results and my, my idea hasn't changed much since then, I wrote that, uh, you know, I, I like the company. I, I can, you know, Luke's just given us a great summary, so I won't repeat that. I agree with, you know, what he said. But uh, at these prices, which it was after results pretty much, I basically wrote, look, I like it. I would potentially buy more but I'd like to do so at, at a lower price. Now, when push came to shove, uh, when it actually did drop below $6, which was an attractive price, I didn't end up actually buying some more on the recent dip. So uh, like Tazan, I actually missed it as well. So I, I feel you on that one. Um, however, I guess the difference between us is I actually already own Ordinate shares and I actually was just looking in my notes and I actually first bought them in uh, March 2018 and it was under $3 share price. So I've traded them a little bit over the years and I have a much smaller position now and I am looking to um, increase that position. Uh, but yeah, look, the, the $8, I have paid $8, by the way, previously. I think the last, so I'm not saying it's out of, you know, at the realms of possibility. One way you could approach it is you could, if you didn't own any, you could just make a small initial position and start sort of averaging in. And that way mean, means perhaps you won't feel so bad if the share price goes up. But also it might remind you to actually buy when it does go down and drop down. It doesn't always work, of course, but um, that, that would be a reasonable approach. So with the caveat being that for me personally, as a, someone who already owns shares, I'm actually not buying anymore. And it is quite a small position just because I do think it's quite expensive. And, and it's something I'd be looking to buy on a little bit more uh, pessimism there in the share price. But having said that, I, I'll, look, I'll, I'll give it that little buy just because if I didn't own any shares, I probably would just buy a small amount just because I think it is... Um, you know, to quote a friend of mine, a monopoly in the making, in the making, and there aren't many of those in in the um, ASX that we look at. So I like it. Okay, so there's some um, information for you, Tamsin, and I'm going to call it a buy from both of my guests today. So it will be put to the investment committee. Also, just as an aside, we do have a new episode of the investment committee up online. If you haven't watched it yet, you should uh, make the effort to go do so. So it's there at osbiz.com.au and also via the app. All right, uh, let's get to the next on the list. This is Credit Clear for Nicholas, looking for an opinion on the company. He thinks it's a good one and thinks that the macro environment will be a tailwind for the company. Reckons they're good operators on the verge of profitability, but still flying under the radar of big instos. What do you think, Claude? Ah, uh, Credit Clear. So actually, this one, it was one of those moments where I sort of started, like, I guess, quite skeptical. Um, but then as I, as I looked into it more for this show, I think that there's definitely something there. It's 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 start. Uh, it's worth watching. Now I think um, you know the the gist of it is here. What I really like about it is this is essentially a platform company that sort of uh, provides the tools needed for other companies to collect on debt. So that could be um, you know even like a private school trying to get the parents to pay up the fees on time and and Credit Clear have a platform that they could use to like send them texts and stuff like that. And Credit Clear, um, you know, sells that platform, but also sells that connectivity as well. So it's not a, it's not a super high margin software as a service business. Um, you know, 
in the collections part of that that business or the legal service part of that business, you, you have a gross margin that's nowhere near that software as a service 80, 90% um, level, like more closer to, I guess, 60, 70%. Uh, I didn't check that, but that's where the ballpark is. So that means um, when we look at the current price, it, based on their May update, it's about uh, four to five times. You'd be paying four to five times, I guess, their, their revenue based on their, their most recent May update, uh, which is not crazy just because they did say they've just gotten into operating profitability. So that does suggest that they're on the path to break even. And that's why I say this is definitely one worth watching. I thank the questioner for putting it more on my watch list. However, the catch for me at the current prices, the reason I wouldn't be buying, even though I think that this actually could be a buy one day, is that uh, you've got to remember it's actually, the market cap is a little bit bigger than what it says on Comsec because it's got those escrow shares. And so I would probably wait until we get through this escrow period. Let's see if those escrow um, holders are going to, are looking to sell on the market themselves or if they're actually long-term holders themselves. That'll give us a little more information about, um, I guess, you know, where the company might go in the future. In the meantime, the reason I like it is because I guess if you have tough economic times, there might be more market for like sending people text messages, asking them to pay their bills. So that means that this could be like a really quite cool in the fact that it might be kind of counter-cyclical and, and that stuff is always worth studying. Thank you. And Luke, what do you think about Credit Clear? Yeah, look, I actually agree with a lot of those points. It's it's one that's sort of been on my radar a little bit as well without digging really deep into it. It's only a relatively recent listing. Um, and the other thing is they made a, a large acquisition um, late last year, I think in December last year, actually. Um, and that acquisition was actually for a business sort of larger than Credit Clear, like more revenue and, and, and you know, a, a decently profitable business compared to Credit Clear, which was still loss making. So the timing on that acquisition was actually really, really good because it meant that, um, you know, they, they made the acquisition when capital markets were still, you know, quite healthy back then at the back end of last year. But also coming into this period where, as we know, so many sort of high growth loss making businesses have been absolutely hammered. Um, they're pretty close to reporting and operating profit, largely because of that acquisition they made. So look, I've got it on my radar. The the acquisition was for more of a traditional receivables management business, whereas Credit Clear, as, as Claude alludes to, is targeting that sort of digital software as a service um, business, much more high margin. And that's the sort of business you want to own. So for me, I've got it on my watch list. I want to just make sure that that digital business is growing the way I, I want it to. Um, and the other thing, I agree with Claude on that on those escrow shared. And the other one is, you know, relatively new listing. They've also had the CEO um, change as well. So just a couple of things that are sort of, you know, I've got on the watch list. And 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 you know, if the time's right or there's some execution or the price is right, it's, it's definitely one I would I would um, take a real close look at and potentially buy. But just a few things keeping on the sideline, but but definitely watching for now. So um, I'd, I'd hold it if you're there, but um, if you're someone else, you could definitely wait for this next report. I think that'll be the theme for okay. a lot of these stocks, Nadine. Just you've got a reporting season coming up. There's no need to sort of jump into some stories right now. Thank you. Let's go to the next on the list for Diana, because this came in for you boys specifically. Would like an opinion on a small cap, Artria. I think that's how you say it, AYA. I don't know why I find that difficult. Is it a watch, a buy, or an avoid? I don't know a lot about the company, but it is AI support for coronary artery disease from what I can see. Luke, uh, give us your assessment, buy, hold, sell. 
Yeah, well, I mean, my comment just then on Credit Clear was, you know, the timing of their acquisition was was good. These guys, they only IPO'd late last year. And again, this is an IPO that would not get away in this current market. So, you know, the timing on that, kudos to management. They've got cash in the bank and, and looking to execute their strategy. This is very early stage. This is, this is pre-revenue. Um, and this isn't a drug or a sort of biotechnology device. This is this is software as a service. It's quite rare to actually see software businesses come to the ASX pre-revenue. I mean, normally some sort of venture capital business, you know, is providing funding for these early days and, and you know, they might come to the market with a few million dollars ARR or something like that. So you're very much investing in a concept. But when I look into it, again, this isn't I'll caveat this is this isn't one that I would buy, Nadine. It's not my style of investing. Um, but there are characteristics to this business where if they can execute and, and more importantly, show the efficacy of their software for what they're trying to achieve, um, it could do really well. So the main reason why is is it's software to try and detect plaque in, in the arteries around the heart. Um, and that, that buildup obviously can lead to, to heart problems and, and is a leading cause of heart attacks. Now, the software just goes over the top of existing CT scans. So there's no, you're not asking these hospitals and your customers to roll out additional CapEx, additional hardware. It's purely a software, you know, most likely a, a usage-based uh, model. So if, this, if, if they can prove that this software works, I, I could actually see the, the take-up being quite rapid. Um, and it can be very capital light, given that, um, you know, you're not having to do big rollouts and, and, and things like that. You can sort of just have your software. It's all cloud based. You know, have a, have a customer on board and relatively quickly. So look, there's things to like about what they're trying to do. It's so early stage and I've got absolutely no expert insight into the software and, or anything like that. I, I can't even begin to make a call as to whether there's some sort of, um, you know, competitive advantage there, what they're trying to do. Um, look, They've got 40 mil cash in the bank, burnt $4 million last quarter. So there's a decent runway there. Um, the other thing I noticed for these medical sort of guys, it's not just R&D and sales. You have to sort of, you've got to rub shoulders with the right people. So they've got their medical advisory consultancy board, which has, you know, eight US doctors on it. You, these are all sorts of things you have to pay for as well. So it's not for me. Look, if, you, if you're very high risk, definitely have a look at it. If you're there, I would hold it. I don't Nothing's changed. If you've bought it, nothing's changed other than the market, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So it's a hold for that purpose, but um, very, very, very early stage. Got it. Thanks. Claude? Yeah, so um, I agree with what Luke said, but I'll also just add more as a general thing is I'm guilty of it. I've done it before, but generally speaking, buying zero revenue companies, um, it's just more speculation on narrative and I guess like market flows and, and what's happening in, in speculative med tech companies on the ASX than it is really on anything else. I think it's just, you've, if it actually is going to be a big thing, then there'll be a great time to jump in on it after like it's got its first million dollars in revenue or something like that. Uh, so definitely an interesting story and, and one to watch. And I have been guilty of speculating on these kind of things in the past, but it's not being a prof. It's not where you make your money in my experience. It's just almost a zero sum game and you don't have enough fundamentals to get an advantage over the market because you're just trying to, I guess, predict sentiment flows. So yeah, for me, I just think it's too early stage. Thank you. That's your answer, Diana. All right, let's get to number four on the list because this is a fallen angel, you could say. Kogan. KGN is the ticker code. No context from Lily, but I think we know what's happened. Huge COVID winner. Things have taken a turn. Is it a bargain now, though, Claude? Ah, well, is it a bargain? It's hard to say. Um, th so this is not a business that I like to invest in. I never, have, like, obviously it's had a meteoric ascent and, and then back down. 
Um, but just because I think there are other retailers and also online retailers that I'd prefer. Uh, I don't, I'm not a massive fan of, I guess, like the management track record in terms of how they remunerate themselves and all that sort of thing. So for me, it kind of just falls down on that criteria uh, as a, as it's not in my investment research, since I put a massive emphasis in my investing on assessment of management. Uh, however, having said that, you know, look, I think that it survives as a business. It's got a value. Look, the analysts um, forecasts out for 2025. So I guess looking through a bumpy ride are suggesting EPS at, at around 50 cents per share. You know, if that's true, that had put it on a PE ratio of less than 10. And I wouldn't see it being worth less than 10 times earnings. Um, so, of course, I just thought the reality of this business is it, it's been quite up and down over the years and goes with the economic cycle. So it's so pro-cyclical. So, like, if you bought it now and just held long enough, I think you'd probably get a better exit point and you'd probably make money. Um, if you, you, But then again, you might also want to try and time it a little more. A lot of people think that there's a real risk of a recession coming up, which I think would be bad for Kogan. So it's quite possible that our sentiment could get lower with this one. So I wouldn't see it. Even though I would never really personally buy shares, if I was going to buy shares, it would more be like a little bit of a pro-cyclical punt if I thought, you know, we're in the, the darkest days of recession and things would be getting getting better in the near term, then I can see this being super leveraged to that cycle. So that's how I look at it. Thank you. Luke, do you look at Kogan favorably? Um, look, when it's fallen so far, it's obviously more favorably than where it was. But I agree with what a, a lot of what Claude just said. Um, and look, the, the note I jotted down at Dean is like these guys, they extrapolated those COVID trends way too far. And look, maybe that's a mistake a lot of people made, investors and management teams for, for a few businesses. But as an example, like the business has doubled since pre-COVID like from a, from a revenue point of view. But their marketing costs and, and their people costs, as they put it, um, were both around $9 million in the first half of 2020. And they're now 41 and $46 million, respectively. So more than more than quadrupled, um, you know, despite the business doubling. So, you know, that's where that operating leverage just hasn't come through this business. Now, you read the last report and there's management commentary about um, – being overstocked with inventory, looking to sort of wind that back a bit, looking to control those operating costs. Um, and so there's a fair chance, uh, you know, that maybe the next few quarters could actually look pretty good from a reporting point of view, given that, you know, you might start to see some of that operating leverage come through. Uh, but as Claude points out, there's just so many clouds now over the consumer that um, even if the business is able to do those things to its cost base and sort of wind back the inventory, that the excess inventory they've got, um, you, you're probably doing that into the face of a, of a consumer pulling back, certainly from a, a, a goods point of view. We can see that in the, in the ABS numbers. Um, so, look, this is another one, a bit like CCR before, Nadine. I think you're about to have um, – they usually do a quarterly update, so I suspect we'll see one in the next week or two. Um, I, I wouldn't be jumping in until I saw that, um, and that may be a catalyst where if you see some things that you like in there, um, for me, that would be around those operating costs – then yeah, it's one you might revisit because the chart says it all. There's, you know, every business has a price, um, and and this one, you know, it, it's it's obviously closer to to that price now than where it was in those heady days of COVID. So I, I look, I would hold it if you're there again, um, but but if you're on the sidelines, definitely wait a week or two. Wait for this, wait for this quarterly update, and just make sure that what the business says they're going to do actually comes through. Thank you. Let's get to number five, shall we? This is for Braden, saying it would be great to get Claude's and Luke's opinion on Syrah Resources. So it's a small cap, yes, but it is in the battery materials uh, space. 
Uh, and the, um, the viewer is wondering if it could cement itself as one of the only active anode material suppliers externally to China. So there's some context in there. Um, Claude, we'll start with you because you were name dropped in there. Are you buying into the battery materials craze really is what it is? Uh, yeah, no, I'm not. I, I tend to let most crazes uh, go through to the keeper, not not all crazes. Some I get sucked into and, and you know, hopefully you make some money. But uh, at the moment, we're definitely having a, a bit of a moment for, you know, excitement about the, the future of uh, battery energy systems. And I don't think that they'll necessarily be uh, one of the only suppliers to China long term. I think China usually sort of thinks strategically about these things. So they try to make sure that they have multiple suppliers for, for most things that are strongly in demand. So I wouldn't um, be too comfortable about that long term. But what I really do like about Braden's question is he's talking, it's not it's not just a craze, it is also a genuine long term tailwind, right? So if you so zooming in on that, um, you know, in a couple of years, Sira is forced is forecast by analysts to make a small profit. And um, at the moment, you know, it's supposed to be crossing over to break even around now. And we'll see about that. I am a bit skeptical, but supposedly in the next couple of years, it's supposed to make a profit. I would look to probably join the, the story then. And you might even also have a uh, better opportunity in the sense that whilst the battery materials boom and the long term demand for that is most likely real, and that is probably a, a multi-decade or a decade long tailwind, um, I don't think that the level of excitement around that will be sustained at current levels for the whole of the 10 years. So there's probably some time whilst we see this tailwind where you can actually jump on board some companies that are going to benefit for, from it that are actually profitable at the time and you're probably not paying an insane multiple of earnings. So I, that's a fancy way of saying that it's just too risky for me at the moment, but I, I love the, the tailwinds you're looking for. and. I'd add as a caveat there, I'm not an expert in resources companies, so perhaps take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, Luke, um, where's your expertise lie when it comes to some of these small, small resources plays and what the future could potentially hold? Because, again, I've, I've said it on air before, I've had so many conversations, particularly in the last week, um, just really emphasizing that out of any of these sort of, um, you know, cycles that we go through with particular metals and minerals, there's really only one, maybe two ultimate winners out of the story. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good point, Nadine, you're right. Um, and look, so, so you know me, like resources isn't, isn't my, my forte. Um, and, and that's why whenever they do come up, I'll always favour the, the profitable producers, as Claude alludes to. Um, it, just, it just gives you more, something more fundamental to fall back to. Syrah's on their way there. Like, I hadn't looked at this business for quite a while. It was a very controversial business a few years ago with some, you know, short reports and things like that. So it was always sort of on my radar to some degree. Um, <clears throat> yeah, look, they've got some some real production going on, ramping up quite nicely, as Claude alludes to. Um, people who cover the stock um, see them tipping over into profitability pretty soon. Um, on the numbers today, it looks like they're a little bit off that. But, but with these things, and particularly the prices you can achieve, um, you know, as we know, commodity producers can, can very quickly swing into profit if conditions are right for them. Um, 
I think the appeal of Syra and there's a few other businesses on the ASX when you read their presentations is acknowledging that, you know, these battery metals, rare earths, there's materials that are very controlled by China. Um, and you have jurisdictions, particularly the US and Western Europe, that are trying to obviously find resources outside of that Chinese control. So that's where Cyrus positioning ex- itself as, you know, a, a non-Chinese graphite resource and, and one of the biggest in the world, you know, for, for that sort of criteria. Um but for me, again, I just I, I, I prefer the numbers. Like you, as Claude alludes to, you're playing into the narrative there, and, and that narrative can work for certain types of investments at certain periods of time. But but as you come into this period where you're you're now in production and you're ramping up, the numbers need to do the talking for you. So I'd, I'd sit on the sidelines with this one and just watch it. Um, my, my one note I did have for, for Braden, though, is if you're looking to play this graphite space, there, there aren't many, and that's that's the appeal of, of something like a Syrah. There, there's not many other exposures on the ASX to, to, to graphite, so it's the it's the um, you know the, the one thing that will always have going for it from that point of view. Got it. So that is uh, not one for you at this time. Look, we are at the halfway mark, so let me just summarize what we've learned. Two buys on this Friday. It's Cog State for Claude. Prefers to buy on a down day, but. Uh, Keep in mind the medium-term risks as well. He likes it for now. Smart parking, very good cash flows is what it's got going for us, according to Luke. Uh, but again, it does have a regulatory overhang potential, so keep that in mind. But a couple of buys for you. There you go. Now, another buy, Audinate. So it's really, really high quality in Luke's view. And uh, look, Claude is looking to increase his position. He would prefer to do it cheaper, but he would also be happy to buy at today's price just a little bit. So small position to start averaging in from here. He too thinks it's a quality company. Credit Clear is a hold for Luke. It's on his radar, but not a buy just yet. He's thinking along the same lines as Claude. Wait for that escrow. Wait for shares to be removed from escrow to see what the directors do with that. Um, but it could potentially be a buy one day in Claude's view. Artrea, uh, this is a, not a buy for either one of my guests. High risk, too high risk for Luke. And uh, Claude just doesn't buy zero revenue companies. It's a good way to lose money. Kogan, it's an avoid. There's many reasons why Claude wouldn't buy it, but particularly because the cycle, where we are in the cycle, and that's the same story for Luke. He says there's a cloud over consumers. Why would you buy a consumer-leveraged company? And you just heard the guys talking about Syra Resources, so that is too risky uh, right now. Okay, let's get on to a bit of a summary for the portfolio. This is picked by the Investment Committee. You can watch it, as I said, on ausbiz.com. Tyro, Qantas, Frontier, Digital Ventures, Tabcorp, and Steadfast were removed. BAPCOR was added to the portfolio this month, and we're now holding just over 10% cash. So we'll see what we do with that next month. And uh, so far this year, we're down by about 6% on a cumulative return basis since its inception on March the 1st. Keep sending your requests. Companies like Audinate that get two buys are then put to the investment committee, but they remain in the call portfolio as well. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. 
And over the next few minutes, we'll be speaking about Aquis Entertainment, AQS, Tesserint in the cybersecurity space for Richard Paincheck, as well as Hazer Group, new CEO there, and Money3. Let's get straight to it. My guest hosts this hour, Claude Walker from A Rich Life and Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital. I'm pretty sure I messed up your name somehow earlier in the piece. I'm pretty sure I said Claude or Luke Walker, whatever. Claude, I'm talking to you this time. So close to Luke Skywalker. Yeah, I think it. that's it. I totally <laughs> think that's it. Um, Aqueous Entertainment. So what are the views on Aqueous as, after it offloaded uh, one of its casinos? Now, at a rich life, bit of an ethical filter over it. Would you be uh, more interested in Aqueous Entertainment now, Claude? Yeah, I guess so, because I, I guess that the uh, thesis, I guess, is changing for this. So obviously, because it's actually the operator of uh, Canberra Casino, which seems like its main business, I um, have never actually looked at it before uh, this, sh this show. Or, um, and look, the story is that, it's that it is uh, slated to sell its casino for $60 million. Of course, that's not guaranteed to happen. Um, but I imagine that that is um, the questioner is probably thinking about that in terms of the thesis. And um, I guess the thesis would look something like the fact that I think it's around uh, a little bit less than 30 million market cap at the current price. It has um, perhaps net debt of around 25 million. And if it gets um, six, so if it gets 60 million for the casino, I guess it, it might be trading for less than its assets. I think that's the, probably the thesis. And um I would want to be very uh, sure of all those numbers uh, before I invested, but it doesn't seem like a crazy thing to do. Um, however, I would just warn and say often a company that is essentially then a holding company or a cash box, often that can trade below um, actually its genuine value. So um, even though I'm not poo-pooing this idea, um, I think it's interesting thinking. Um, it's not something I'd ever do myself, at least not in the rarest of situation where I had most incredible confidence in management. And I just don't know these guys and haven't followed them for a, a, a long period of time. And I would need to have followed them for years to have that kind of confidence. So for me, it would be a pass. Thank you. What about you, Luke? Um, yeah, it's an interesting situation because I, I, my, I'd never looked at it either, I must admit. Um, and my reading was similar to Claude's, which is um, it's to only purchase the casino. So it's not to purchase, um, you know, Aquas as a listed entity. You're not getting a, a, you know, cash for your shares or anything like that. So um, it is the only operating asset the business has. So effectively, Claude's right. You'll get, get, be left with a, a listing, um, which has a value. Usually they trade between maybe three to five million dollars. Um, and, and then, you know, some other business will be vended in, into that. Um, my rough numbers were similar to Claude's. You've got a 60 mil bid. I've got the EV around that sort of 55. So, you know, there's a, a little bit of meat on the bone there, plus whatever value is left over. Um, that's just on a half hour view. So I agree with Claude. Stuff like this is, is pretty complex. Um, you know, you definitely want to make sure you've got your numbers right around the the actual you know correct enterprise value of the business and, and what's what is remaining there's no liabilities or anything like that remaining afterwards um the other note is there's actually two bids i noted so you got you had you had one initially and then another one come over the top so that gives a little bit more sort of i guess safety that, that something will likely go through um and the, my final note was it's actually very illiquid to Dean. So there's probably not much that anyone could really do anyway from an from a, like arbitrage point of view. You probably struggle to get a decent position. And if you're in there, 
um, you know, the, the, the next highest bid was, was quite a way down. So it's even difficult to sort of take some profits and, and move on. So you're probably just forced to wait there until, you know, the transaction goes through and some sort of capital return comes back as a shareholder. But I, I actually think that's quite likely to happen, um, you know, unless there's some sort of regulatory approvals. We've seen that with Star and Crown have issues. I don't know about Canberra Casino, but that's probably the biggest hurdle the business faces. Um, but yeah, otherwise, look, there's probably not much you can actually do from as mm-hmm. far as a buy, hold, sell, to be honest. Um, I, I just sit there if you're an existing holder. Got it. Thanks. Okay, guys, let's get to Tesserant TNT. This is for Richard. He reckons that cybersecurity looked like a sure bet or a logical sector, at least when it comes to growth. So he bought a small parcel about 18 months ago at 40 cents, but share price has not been doing well since. He sees it at around 10 to 12 cents, maybe bottoming out. Happy to sit on it long term because he's got such a small piece, but he's wondering maybe he should add at these levels. Uh, Luke, I'll start with you for Tesserant. Yeah, look, these guys play very heavily into that cybersecurity theme. Um, they, they came to the market a few years ago and made it very clear that they were going to roll up that space of, of these smaller cybersecurity contractors. Um, one, one thing that's worth noting, I think this gets sort of mixed up when people talk about Tesserant, is there's very little IP in this business. They're, they're very much like consultants and contractors to, to enterprise government. So, you know, customers will use them to create a, a, a cybersecurity suite or make sure that their, um, you know, operations are secure. But there's no Tesserant software that gets rolled out. There's none of that high margin, you know, that, that Claude and I uh, both love in businesses because it's so high margin and scalable. Um, it's very much a people business, contract based, um, but nonetheless, you know, they were they were the only sort of player on the ASX um, rolling up the space at the time and getting some very good, you know, essentially multiple arbitrage from that public private market, which plenty of other spaces have done in the past. Um, 13 acquisitions in, in, you know, the better part of sort of two and a half years is a lot. And I think you've sort of seen some some digestion issues in there and that, that's come through in the share price. The last couple of results seem okay. They, they break out organic and acquisitive growth, and the organic growth looks okay. Um, you know, I, I didn't dig into those numbers to sort of see their calculations or anything like that, but it looked okay at face level. The one big red flag I did see was actually just in that last quarterly report, um, and and the problem was they reported an EBITDA of $4 million in the third quarter, but a negative cash flow of $1.1 million. That's a very big um, gap between your reported EBITDA and your operating cash flow. You want to see that, you know, pretty much at 100%. Um, you know, to see a cash outflow when you're, when you're reporting a formula but uh, suggests something it, it's a working capital problem um, which could just be a short-term timing issue that's why it's not a you know not an immediate you know sell something like that it's just definitely something to keep an eye on um, my other thought is you know maybe something around revenue recognition where you, you get you know you're recording revenue well before cash comes in the door so keep an eye on that particularly the fourth quarter you I, I would really want to see that cash come in if, if i didn't see that come in, in the fourth quarter it those alarm bells would really be ringing for me um, because it's usually the first sign that a roll-up's going sour Nadine is when the cash uh, you know the 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 the, um, the the accounting sort of runs ahead of the cash coming through in the business and it's always the you know it's always that first indicator that something's potentially going wrong so so definitely keep an eye on that if you are a holder um, if you're on the sidelines again I come back I've, it's been a common theme I'm sorry but um, you know just wait for that next result as I said I, I saw a big red flag in that third quarter I wouldn't touch it if I was on, on the sidelines until I just got that confirmation that things were actually okay um, in, in the fourth quarter coming up thank you Claude what do you think I thought I think that Luke gave an excellent summary then um, I guess I'll just build on top of that because I generally agree with it 
by adding a sociological perspective and then also maybe just talking about valuation a little bit more. Sociologically, you know, around 18 months ago in that period, we were definitely in a bit of a, a bubble about cybersecurity. And, you know, that was also led by big cybersecurity stocks in the US. And Tesserent was um, really talked about a lot on, uh, you know, various social media forum forums. And it was a bit of a crowd favorite. And I think just there's a there's a it's good to be able to recognize that when like, you know, this big sort of another one that happened to the same time was AR9 and they've both fallen a long way. You know, Tesserent is definitely, in my opinion, the better of the two. But look, over the last nine months, as this is another way of saying what Luke said, but if you look at the last nine months, the operating cash flow is about 3.2% of um, the receipts from customers even. So not even talking about the revenue stuff. And that to me shows that it's a pretty bad business. It's not a high quality business at all. And um, then, because it's over 100 million receipts in that time, right? So it's low margin. And then you've got, even if you just sort of use their EBITDA, which is not exactly the best measure of profitability at all, um, it's around 14 times EBITDA, you know, based on a best guess looking at the last four quarters. So that's not even cheap. And we're talking about it actually probably deserving a really low EBITDA multiple. And EBITDA multiples not being a very good valuation uh you know, thing to rely on anyway. So to me, it's just, there's no, I wouldn't be buying more, put it that way. Like it may go up from here, it may go down, but it doesn't look obviously cheap to me. And I think it was just crazily priced at the peak. Thank you. Got it, guys. That is Tesserant. Let's move on to the next, which is pain check for Damien. Getting experts like Claude and Luke to take a look at this med tech company transitioning to a government subsidized trial to commercial licenses. So wondering what or how that you might uh, sort of look at a pain check and what metrics you'd be looking at to decide whether it's a quality investment. Is it a buy, hold, sell today? And you may as well throw that in there as well. Which one of us, sorry. Oh, oh apologies. I'm going to go with you, Claude. All right. The okay, power so we'll, I have. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I've got a... Uh, a bit of an unusual sort of way of critiquing this one. So I'll go with that and, and probably Luke can fill some of the gaps. But basically, you know, this is, I just wanted to talk about what this one does. So, you know, look, it, it doesn't have the financials to attract me, put it that way. But even if it did, even if this was a bit of a go-go stock and, and it was a bit bigger and a bit more proven, I still have questions because, you know, essentially the idea here is that they have like, a, you know, a technology assistance via an app for you to be able to tell if someone's in pain. Now, look, I guess the better way of applying that that has had some traction is with old people but one thing i really wanted to zoom in on is this idea that they they put forward in their presentations that um people you know babies can't communicate they're in pain so you need like an app that uses their facial expressions to tell you if they're in pain i'm just really skeptical about that like i don't know i personally don't know of many parents who's ever said to me oh my real trouble with you know that i'm having with this less than 12 months old baby is that i don't know if it's in pain just practically speaking, the way that it's been for most of me and my friends is that if the baby's unhappy in any way, they let you know. And, you know, there's only a few things that it can be. So you either like fix the, whatever the problem is, or if you can't fix the problem is, then you might start worrying it's in pain. I also think there's sort of some instinctual thing between um, humans that mean that you have a good sense of if your young child is in pain. It's like you can almost distinguish between their mm -hmm. cries. So I really don't believe that that is actually a problem that humans face. And I, for me, it seems like a dark future if we need apps to be able to see if our own children are in pain. 
And, you know, the, my final point here is that, you know, they say in their things, oh, there's like they're well positioned because um, of, you know, all of these kids that get immune immunizations um, under the age of one. And but I think that the pe I've never heard that many parents that are really that worried about the momentary pain or, or any kind of pain really um, arising from those childhood immunizations. Um, but certainly those few people that I do know that do worry about um, the, the pain that a, a needle might cause for their young child, they also worry about putting their children's face on technology and uploading it to, to whoever. So I just feel like the, 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 the Venn diagrams of those two groups pretty much overlap. And so I don't see, I can't see um, that there'll be that much demand for this, but perhaps I'm wrong. Okay, got it. So if you fundamentally don't believe in what the company is doing, then you're not going to invest in it, right? So Luke, what do you think about PainCheck? Yeah, look, um, Claude highlights a, a lot of issues I saw. I tend to agree with that. You know, I've got a couple of young kids, Nadine. I think they definitely, they definitely let you know when they're in pain. Um, look, Damien, who's, who's written it in, he asked some very good questions alongside it. To me, this is just a classic watch list stock. You don't have to be there early. Like, if this, if these guys really do what they want to do, it'll it'll be a long and lucrative journey for shareholders. There'll be plenty of opportunities to get on um, as they're further along that path. The biggest issue I saw, though, was they say they have a 60% market share in Australia, which, to me, I was actually very impressed by. I mean, that, that's some real traction in the areas you're trying to, um, to move into. But the expected ARR of that, because they have to, a lot of them are on trials, they have to convert them to customers, is only 4.3 million. So you're talking about if you manage to get 100% penetration in Australia, your ARR would be about seven and a half mil. Um, right now, the cost base of the business is 10. So, you know, even, even fully penetrating your Australian market, you're still a loss-making business. So you're asking me as a shareholder to then believe that international expansion is, is you know, not just guaranteed, but like required to, to, to earn a profit as a business. That, that's a step too far for me. I, I would need to see this business be profitable at a core Australian market before I could even like think about stepping in for, for international growth. Okay. So look, watch list it for sure. Um, if you're there, look, you're there for the promise of the technology. I, I don't think anything's changed there. As I said, it's good traction mm -hmm. and, they, and their, their customer list is impressive. Um, but but from a, from my point of view, and Claude's the same, when we sort of when you factor the numbers into it, I can't make the numbers work at this stage of the business's life. So I'm, I'm on the sidelines for this one. Don't, okay, there we go. Got that one. Hazer Group, HZR for Dye. She purchased this at 98 cents. Been a pain trade ever since. Uh, but she did purchase with the intention to hold. A new CEO took over this week, or at least was announced, and share price had a bit of a bounce. Do you know anything about the company, the new direction the CEO will take it likely, Luke? And would you be holding and continuing to hold? Um, I, I did see the new CEO was announced. I, I didn't look too much into that. Um, this is one that it's been around for a while, a few years now, and, and actually popped up on my radar, I think back in like 2019, when they had a... Um, had a agreement with Mineral Resources, and Mineral Resources does this quite a bit. They'll invest, um, you know, um, either invest in companies or have agreements with a lot of sort of speculative resource companies or technology companies. Um, and so I, it sort of popped up on my radar. Is keep an eye on this because you know the guys at Minres are very smart, and if they see some some potential in this technology, then the, there could be something there. Um, you know. 
couple of years go by, Minrez walk away. And to be honest, Hazer sort of fell off my radar at that point. My, my, my view was sort of that, you know, if, if Minrez couldn't see anything with what they were trying to do, it's probably, there's, there's probably nothing there. The tech looks interesting. So, so as an explainer, they're looking to take LNG and through a, through a process they called the Hazer process, um, turns that into pure hydrogen and also um, synthetic graphite. So, you know, you can see why people are interested straight away. You're targeting two hypergrowth segments there. Um, but it's all about the efficiency of that and whether it's commercially viable. For me, when I saw Minrez walk away, it, it sort of, you know, I, I, it fell off my radar at that point. They signed another MOU um, with a Canadian company a few months ago. So, you know, maybe there's, again, another sort of light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. that someone else may may look to commercialise this with them. Um, but for me, you know, pre-revenue, again, too speculative. I, I think it's a, another classic watch list. If the tech works, you'll have plenty of time yeah. to jump on this story at some point. And that's the thing, Claude, isn't it? Is that uh, hydrogen, green hydrogen in particular, I mean, it's, it's a long road before it's going to be used in any big commercial application. Yeah, that, that's right, Nadine. This this is a company that doesn't, you know, have an existing business. It's it's more just, uh, you know, an, an idea for a business, and that's fine. I can completely understand the allure of this kind of thing, especially when it could solve big environmental problems. That's actually how, you know, many years ago now, I like first started investing, investing in some companies like Hazer Group that had no revenue and they had a great story for this technology that was going to solve some of the big problems of our time, and. What I learned from that experience in those very, um, you know, early years starting out as an investor, like when I was just still at university, even um, putting, you know, my $500 in a, in a stock that I had left over from travel, you know, that, that it's not good to just invest with, with my heart. I have to also have some harsh reality about valuing the company. What are the likelihoods of um, success? You know, how is the cash flows of the company going to justify the current price? And it's just basically impossible to do that with like these kind of businesses especially when you know the actual thing that they're selling isn't built it's a different thing if they've got a product and they're taking it to market and they literally started selling it today but um, it's really hard to value you can't really do it that means you just it's sort of speculation in in a way and and it's just a different ball game and and i don't recommend it generally thank you like i'm saying i'm guilty of doing it but i i don't think people should do it really okay got it thanks guys all right last on the list money me so luke this was uh um, attention you really asking for your thoughts good history of growth and profitability according to our guest forecasting for 50 million NPAT for FY22 seems cheap in his view though is there a concern about slowdown in new car sales or bad debts I spoke with the CEO quite a little uh, well a couple weeks ago I guess it's up online uh, the CEO says no not worried about that would you be as an investor Luke um, I think so. I think um, Ben, who wrote it in, he, he's right. That, that That's the issues overhanging this business. Um, look, when I worked at my old firm, I wrote a blog post about um, small business and personal lending companies um, and basically highlighted they're terrible businesses on the ASX. Um, there's a reason why the banks don't really touch small business and, and personal lending to any great degree. The only two exceptions to that was Credit Corp and Money3. So I, I give them a lot of credit. I think they play in an exceptionally tough space. And I agree with Ben that they have they have a, a demonstrated history of being able to grow and be profitable and, and you know return capital to shareholders through dividends and, and all the things you want to see. Um, it looks cheap 
the business, obviously, you know, I, I hadn't, I didn't see that interview, Nadine, but I, I, you know, I trust the CEO when he says that because they're out there with a, a very strong buyback. They only announced a buyback, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and they've already bought back 10% of the, you know, 15 million buyback they announced. So they genuinely believe their stock's cheap and they're buying it back very strongly. Um, there's there's two issues that I see. One is the macro. Ben alludes to it. You know, new car sales. What will they do in this sort of consumer sentiment environment? Um, and also used car prices, you know, can only go down as as sort of um, you know the, the the issues around the supply of new cars um, alleviates itself. Mm-hmm. The second issue to keep an eye on though is um, Money Three historically has had a very good moat through the distribution to used car dealers. Um, you've got the used car dealer network around Australia, and they would be in all of those dealerships as the preferred finance, you know, financier of choice. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of competitors now. And, um, you know, slip of the tongue, you actually said Money Me is the intro. That was the one I was going to raise. Money oh, Me are uh, growing exceptionally quick in this in this auto finance space, along with a few others. Um, and so you've got this potential combination of the yields on your loans coming down just through the competition as bad debts potentially creep up, which despite what the CEO commented, they did creep up a little bit in that last report. So, you know, the market may be looking at a bit of a perfect storm for a business like this of of increased competition, just as you you come into some weakness in your loan book. (sighs) Look, they think it's cheap. They've had a very good operating history. Ben, if you own it, I definitely wouldn't sell it. I would probably come back to something I've said a few times, Dean. wait for that annual report. I think they'll come out okay. soon. Let's see if they hit that 50 mil, um, break, you know, dig into yep. it, how they got there and all the sorts of things and we'll make an assessment then. Buy, hold, sell. We'll have to keep it short, Claude, for money three, excuse me, MNY. Yeah, I guess I'd call it a hold as well. Uh, Luke was very comprehensive there. I do also agree in the long-serving management uh, probably uh, one of the best management teams in this sector. Most of these companies, I just I would never even say hold. Uh, but it's one you're buying for the dividend. And uh, just keep in mind that if you are holding, I would keep a keep a close eye on um, how the price of secondhand cars is holding up. They, in my opinion, are starting to drop now, and that could be exacerbated in a recession. And that's definitely bad for Money3 because that's their collateral in many instances. Got it. Claude, thank you. Now, guys, let's just run through what we've learned. Aqueous Entertainment, it is a pass for Claude. It's a liquid. It's a hold for Luke if you've got it. But there's a lot going on with bids, etc. So just to, well, he's not interested. Tesserant, um, Luke says, wait for the next result, but not looking good. Claude would not be buying into this one. Fundamentally... Paincheck's business model does not resonate with Claude, so he would never buy it. It's on, could be a watch list case for you, according to Luke, but he's not interested. Hazer Group, uh, look, that was a red flag when Mineral Resources walked away for Luke. Um, look, it's an idea. It's an idea stock. It's pre-revenue. There's nothing happening there. Claude would not buy it. Money 3, you just heard them talking about it. And I'll let you go with that. Guys, a huge thanks for your time today. As always, Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. I hope you both have a really wonderful weekend with your families. And we look forward to speaking soon. Thanks Thanks for having me. Okay, that's the show for the day. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, you can email us at thecall at ausbiz.com.au. Check out the call's portfolio, ausbiz.com forward slash portfolio. Stay with us. I'll be bringing you through the small caps next. (laughs) 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 